on the Jigsaw Podcast. And before we talk about anything else, I wanted to shout out all of my people, all of my puzzle pieces, my puzzle lovers, whatever we call call ourselves. I want to shout y'all out. I could not have done this without you all, the listeners. I could not have done any of this without all of this crazy, amazing, special guests. When I say crazy, amazing, I mean crazy, amazing, because all of the guests have brought something so unique something so special to the podcast and i really want to thank you for taking this little country boy's dream and making it a reality um so thank you thank you thank you for sticking with us continue to support continue to subscribe continue to tell your friends and your family members and your associates and your co-workers and your classmates and your neighbors and everybody in between about the jigsaw podcast who are we we are the podcast that talks about the perils, the praises, the productivity, and the pomp and circumstance of being a real-life black millennial, shoot, a black person in America. We are trying to navigate the craziest puzzle ever created, and that is the Jigsaw of Life. And I'm so excited to be doing this with y'all. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Y'all doing okay? You know 2020 is still a year. Mighty God, it is a year. Um, and what better year to teach us how to navigate life, <laughs> right? It's been something that we've all had to become of cu- accustomed to. Um, but I hope that you're still, that you are still being safe, that you are still persisting, that you are still remaining encouraged. I know that there are things going on like layoffs and sicknesses and things like that, that are changing the way we have our perspectives and outlooks toward life. You know, some of my days are not the best days. I have some days where I'm just like, oh, I'm over it, right? But for the most part, we persist and we keep going. You know, that is part of our strength, especially as African-Americans, as to is to turn some of these rather piss poor situations and make them into situations where we thrive and we excel. So I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you are wearing your mask, washing your hands, washing your tails, right? Being safe, socially distancing and all that you do and all these other great things that come with, uh, (laughs) not necessarily great things, but all the things that come with um, surviving and living in a pandemic. Um, Today's show is going to be absolutely dope. We're going to talk about Um, some toxic masculinity and manhood and debunking some myths and exposing some truths around all of that. I brought my boy Chris Moore, one of my closest friends, my brother, to the living room to have the conversation. And we talk about some stuff that may be taboo. And I think you want to stick around and have the entire conversation. So entire conversation. So if you know a brother, you know a man, invite them into the room now. Let them get to the conversation. We're going to have, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it on this episode. Um, I got some things I really got to get off my chest concerning your president, Mr. 45. 
got to talk about it and, you know, in a greater conversation. And then there's been some interesting stuff that's happened in pop culture. And we're going to touch on that a little bit, too. Y'all know how we do it. But let's get ready to get into our very first segment. Let's shout out some black excellence and let's do it in the Bless Up Report. This week on the Blessed Report, we want to shout out Krissa Thompson. She has been named the first black woman managing editor over there at the Washington Post. Now, this is a first in the 143-year history of the publication. And, you know, 2020, we are still having our first black, you know, such and such, you know, you fill in the blank. And Krissa is, like I said, is our first black woman managing editor for the publication. She's been at the Post for over 20 years, and she has a Bachelor's of Arts in Journalism from the University of Texas at Austin, and she received her Master's in Journalism from the University of Maryland at College Park. Now, in her new role, she'll be responsible for spearheading newsroom efforts in recruiting, hiring, promotion, and mentorship. We are super, super excited about the level of diversity that she's going to bring to the media and to news writing and reporting and making sure that we are eliminating some of the racial and social biases that can happen within, you know, that form, that medium. Right. So we are super excited about Krista's promotion and her appointment as managing editor. And we have your full you have our full support. So bless up. Shout out to you, sis. All right. This week on the Billboard in current events, The Ellen Show is being investigated for racism and discrimination and I think some sexual harassment charges or allegations rather as well. Um, It's kind of unfortunate because Ellen is such this excited and exuberant and nice and kind and friendly person. She seems to be one of equity and social justice. She supported a lot of movements, specifically with those uh, from minority backgrounds and, you know, the common quote unquote person. Like she's had plenty of teachers and viral sensations that have come on her show that she's highlighted, not just celebrities. So from a front end perspective, it's kind of surprising and shocking that this kind of stuff is happening. But from a back end perspective, there has been conversation that this kind of um, activity has happened on her show for years. I can't speak to that because I'm not an insider. Um, But what I will say that I do hope that most of this investigation proves to be wrong. I also understand that many times when you're on a platform that people, you know, sometimes take out their frustrations and, you know, create and build stories and not to gaslight anyone because I don't want to um, take away from anybody's experience or their story. But I just think that, you know, hopefully the investigation proves whether right or wrong, what is really happening. And hopefully these things can be reconciled within that community. So um, Ellen, best of luck to you. Hope everything goes out well, um, turns out well, rather. I know that she's considering stepping down. There's been word that she's considering stepping down. And of course, you know, Twitter stepped up to the plate and did this whole replace Ellen thing. They talked about New York from Flavor of Love, Tabitha Brown, who was my favorite suggestion um laverne cox from orange is new black and a few other people that they suggested out there tiffany haddish which 
I think would be a terrible idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's what's going on with the Ellen show. Like I said, it's kind of interesting, but as things develop, we will try to keep up with what's going on there. Um, Black is King debuted. That is Beyonce's visual film that accompanied her album that she released on um, The Gift with Lion King last year. Now, she released a current version of it with this visual that includes Black Parade, and it's gotten a lot of rave reviews. Everyone loves it. I haven't seen it personally. I vowed to watch it before our next um, podcast episode, and I'll talk about it next week. Um, but I've seen commercials. I've seen tweets and memes and gifts and things like that, and artistically, it looks absolutely amazing. I expect nothing less from Beyonce. She's a creative genius. Um, the way the effort that she puts into what she produces is second to none. So I am super um, excited and not at all surprised at the level of excellence and diligence that she that she has produced with this project with Disney. Now, some of the backlash that she's gotten was some of the um, what is the word I want to use? The references. There it is that she has to african ancestors and old tribal traditions and ceremonies and i'm not well versed in all of those things so i can't speak to it i do know in black parade there's a couple of lines that make you kind of scratch your head and raise your eyebrow i'm not going to even lie to you but at the most part i don't think that beyonce is dibbling and dabbling in um, the worship of ancestral gods and things of that nature. I think what her purpose is, and I can't speak for her directly, but this is my interpretation that I think that her purpose is really to highlight the magnitude and the greatness of black culture and the roots of which we come from. And that is from mother Africa. And I do think a lot of times when we don't do a lot of in-depth research, we begin to highlight and speak in ways that may be conflicting with some of our values, i.e. in terms of ancestral worship and things like that. So I don't think that she's participating in those type of things. I can't necessarily give you a yay or nay on that. But what I will say is that there has been an uproar. And what I will also say is that if you feel convicted from that standpoint, then don't you have the right not to listen. At the same point, you also have the right to guard your ears. Um, so if there are certain things you love about it and other things that you don't, then, you know, you can, as they always say, eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? So shout out to Beyonce for giving us something super black, super excellent. Um, and to everybody else, you know, Listen to it or don't listen to it. I don't. I don't really know what else to what else to say to you. Um, as speaking of the Carter family, and as a last point in the Billboard before we get into the show, Jay Z and Rock Nation has partnered with Long Island University to launch a new school for entertainment management. It's going to launch officially in the fall of 2021, and you'll be able to get an undergraduate degree in music, music technology, entrepreneurship and production, and sports management. This is super dope. Um, say what you want about the Carters, but they put their money where their mouth is, putting it back into the Black community, making sure that our people have the resources and access to things to be successful. I know a lot of people who are in the music business, my brother-in-law, on both ends, my sis my sister's husband and my wife's brother. <laughs> both my brother-in-laws are both into music and production. 
And I'm absolutely sure that when they graduated from high school, this is definitely something that they probably could have taken advantage of and would have loved to been able to do. So, And even if that, I guess if somebody wants to go back to school, I don't know that it's hurting them. But shout out to Jay-Z and Rock Nation for doing that. And shout out to all of the young people, specifically the black, what is, what is, I can't talk today, specifically the black and brown people who will be able to take advantage of this opportunity and get a leg up in the music industry. Um, so today, you know, I told you earlier, we're talking about manhood, breaking down some myths and uh, exposing some truths about masculinity and toxic masculinity and manhood and how we have grown and developed. And, you know, I'll just save the conversation because it's a really a good one. So y'all know how we do it. Grab your favorite snack, grab your meal, get you some water, grab your favorite drink, and let's head on down into the living room and have this conversation. What's going on, y'all? And welcome to another segment of the living room. Today, I'm bringing back somebody, but he's in here by himself this time. So, <laughs> this should be kind of interesting. He was our resident problem child on our Daddy's Issues episode, but I think he's <laughs> going to provide for some amazing conversation. I got my boy Chris Moore in the living room. Welcome, brother. What's going on, man? You all right? I'm good. Introduce yourself again, just in case somebody is listening for the first time or needs to be reminded of who you are. Let me introduce myself the correct way this time. My wife got on me last time. Everybody introduced themselves as husbands, and I, she was like, why you introduce yourself as a husband? It's like, my fault. So my name is Chris Moore. I am a husband. <laughs> I have a wife. Um, I currently reside in Memphis, Tennessee, but I am originally from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised all my life. Uh, forever, I love Atlanta. That's nice. He and listen, he loves Atlanta. You know, and he, I love it. And my best nice was a little shady because we have a little um, we we have a little history there as far as <laughs> <laughs> talking about our hometowns. But no, today this conversation is going to be one that I think is necessary. I think it's been floating around for years, and it's something that has kind of been almost the bedrock of our friendship and it's breaking down some of the barriers of traditional masculinity and manhood as we knew it as we were taught as we grew up so let's just diving straight into the conversation bro like tell me or tell the people because i know like what is your definition of manhood manhood and my um estimates and my definition they're going to really hate us after this podcast. They're going to talk bad about us, but it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> manhood, I would break it down to even just being a man. A man, an acronym for man would be meets all needs. So I think in manhood, you're just a man, you're an individual who's meeting all the needs of whatever your life is. If mm -hmm. it's for your family, if it's just for you, if it's for um, your parents, whatever whatever you're taking care of that's and you're and you're meeting your idea of what what it looks like to be taking care of something then that's my idea of what a manhood or what manhood is i mean okay so like let's because you started off very interesting with this <laughs> meets all needs thing and <laughs> um and not that i disagree but at one point mm -hmm. uh i was it's, it's interesting because i just processed this through with my therapist so 
Um, forgive me if I'm still <laughs> very much still taking aback because <laughs> she she does a really good job of uh, reading me for filth a lot. And but one thing that she did point out in one of the conversations that we were having in the past was that a lot of times black men's worth is often equated to their work. Mm. And they don't oftentimes society doesn't allow us to separate the two, the work versus the worth. So when you say meets all needs and that discovers a man, you know, that is what encompasses what manhood is. I think it buys into this almost slave mentality that I'm not mm. worth anything if I'm not providing anything, if I'm not necessarily meeting a need. And I think the meeting of a need should be, in my opinion, and you mean mm feel free to rebut it. It should be relational. It should be across genders. Um, and I don't know that even as a man or even just as a human, right, I have the capacity to meet all needs. I think that's as much as I understand the concept, I think that's a dangerous thing to kind of impose upon men. But at the same time, just because you're meeting a need, it doesn't you're hitting the mark on that need. So when I say meet all needs, I don't mean that you're getting, you're hitting every I or dotting every I and crossing every T, but at least you can come to the table like, all right, you know what? I'm not strong in this area, but at least I can arrive to the table and I can present something. Um, I think I, I think I would scale it back. I mean, I say meet every need, but kind of like break it down to say at least being on par or meeting. Uh, what's the word I could say? Um, at least being around. Hmm. I hate when you do this, Joshua. <laughs> I just, I just wanted us to think through it. I just, you know. Yeah, I mean, because you're not meeting every need, right? But at least you're trying to touch on every need. And I don't think that we, and I think it's unfair. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm just going to stand on this heel. Not the same heel as Terry Crews. I'm adamant when I say I'm standing on heels. These are not the heels and the mountains that Terry Crews are standing on, okay? Right. Um, but I just feel like I don't even, I think it's unfair to even suggest that I have the capacity to even do that. Because if I can't even dot the I and cross the T, I don't need to come to the table even trying to meet that need. I'm doing so, the other person a disservice almost. Because I'm trying to fulfill what I think my masculinity quota is because I'm supposed to. Society tells me I'm the husband, I'm the father, I'm the man, I got to, but I'm not even good at that. I'm not handy. So not <laughs> outside of YouTube and maybe a conversation from my dad, it's just some stuff that a mechanic or somebody's gonna come in here and do. Somebody's gonna have to get paid to do this. Exactly. I, I feel you know you. what I'm saying? And I don't and I don't feel emasculated or any right. I can't meet that household need. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's and I guess that's the perspective. Maybe I looked at it too deep. No, I think you're good. <laughs> so I guess uh, I know uh, this is your seat, but let me flip it back on you. So what yeah. would your definition of a man of manhood would be? So oh, it's it's so interesting because the man that I am is not necessarily the man that I saw growing up. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked about it in the daddy issues thing. My dad is a man's like traditional textbook man's man. Right, you know what I'm saying? Society's man. Yeah, yeah. sports lover, hardworking, blue collar, um, all that different kind of stuff. And I'm just not, I'm not really into sports. I told you, if it ain't the Grizzlies, specifically John Morant and Jaron Jackson, if it ain't the Grizzlies, the Memphis Tigers really don't care about sports until maybe some real competitive seasons. Um, I am really into how I present. So as far as, I and mean, I don't want to say fashion because I'm not like a, 
a stylist or anything like that. So I like to say how I present. So I like to really take a lot of attention into that. Um, so for me, manhood is this, I don't, it is for me, this mature concept that signifies, I don't even want to say leadership because I want to be very careful in that too, but it is this mature concept that understands the role of responsibility and how that transfers to every relational unit he's attached to. I like that. I like that. Because I think anything outside of that, even when you say leadership, like right now we're doing virtual learning. We That's the route that we chose. And because my wife um, and all of her excellency has determined that our children need structure earlier than when the school is actually going to start, we've kind of done this pseudo um, classroom schedule now. So she took time out of her schedule and out of our budget, God bless it, um, to transform a part of our home into a like classroom. And as much right. as and as educated as I am, you know me, I love the academy. Um, I, it is just not my in my posture to teach little children specifically. Right. Teach them. Like I know how to do math. I can do the basic English, and I haven't gotten to the point where I'm confused with some of their concepts yet. But just the patience and the ability to break it down in a way. And that is more, and Asha, like we both struggle, but it is more her strength. One, because she's in, she grew up around a lot of educators. Right. Um, still in the academic um, field, she's a school social worker. But mm -hmm. on the flip side, I think there's just this greater strength. And lead, like I joked with her yesterday, I was making, Side note, I bought a fresh press for my coffee. I'm a bougie coffee drinker. So I don't make a fresh press coffee. I don't, I don't, I don't do that, um, that Keurig stuff anymore. I was about to say, um, you, you don't upgrade it. Yeah, well, I mean, we still got the Keurig, but, you know, my thing <laughs> is the, the fresh press. But anyway, I was making Ash a cup of coffee. When I handed it to her, I kind of joked. I was like, hey, here you go, Principal Roger. Anything else you need? And it was, like, funny between us, but really, she has really assumed this kind of real administrative, not assistant, but, like, administrative, like, leadership role in our home as it pertains to the structure of our days. I say all of that to say that I do when I say leadership and how that transfers relationally in any aspect is because I don't feel any less valued as the husband because I can't be Principal Rogers. And I just don't assume that I'm quote unquote principal because I'm the man of the house. I could be cafeteria man for the day because I'm the cook anyway, right? I could be right. <laughs> the PE coach because I'm the one who works out. You know what I'm saying? And I give her the grace and the space to lead and to be good and to be excellent in what she does without me being intimidated. Another example, I am laid off right now. She's like, I'm getting unemployment, but she has the job. And her right. job, her check is more than my weekly, you know, unemployment income. And I'm not intimidated. Like, matter of fact, she made more money than me the first, first four or five years of our marriage. Anyway, it's never been an issue for me. Um, I don't particularly, that. I don't get that either. Um, but I do think that that's an important nuance because so many, because of my Christian values, yes, there is a, a piece of me that suggests I'm the leader of my home, all of that kind of stuff. But I think when we think about the whole submission and leadership piece, right. we have to look at it from a really the vantage point of perspective. Exactly. Um, and what is she submitting to? Because I don't be like as much as I know people preach it, I don't believe in blind submission. I'm not telling any of my I got nieces and I wouldn't right. encourage I don't have daughters, but I have nieces and I wouldn't encourage any of them to blindly submit to any fool just because you decided to marry him and examine that thing. And then even in that, present something for her to submit to 
and also present a level of leadership where you can also submit to her in areas where you're not strong. Exactly. Exactly. And to even take it a little bit further, <clears throat> you don't have to subscribe to these gender roles because these gender roles have been the detriment of a lot of marriages. Yes. And I know that uh, we know some people who were actually counselors and who were preaching, hey, you need to be doing this because you're the man and you need to be doing this because you're the woman. Like, no, this is 2020. What worked in 1960, the 70s, the 80s, heck, what worked in 2020 didn't work in the 2000s. And, and it varies from couple to couple, right? I don't want to veer too it far into, into that. But it's an important right. point when we're debunking. And I don't want to necessarily we're debunking manhood. What this conversation, just to give context to the listeners, okay, <laughs> is really centered around is this idea of kind of manhood and masculinity in a way that is presented to say that men cannot feel, that men cannot be vulnerable, that men cannot be expressive, that men cannot assume a myriad of roles and responsibilities and character traits that are sometimes uncommon. You think about just like fashion choices. Now, some fashion choices I don't I don't get into because they're I won't I won't call them too feminine, but I don't get into them because I just don't want to. Like that's right. just my choice. Like my ears are pierced, but that's my choice. Um, right. and for a while, a lot of people say, "Well, no, that's something girls do." No, I wanted my ears pierced because I want my ears. At thirty, almost thirty-one, I still want them <laughs> pierced, and that's just right. you know what I decided. I wear skinny jeans because I like the way they look. Like. You know, that's just they look good on me. They, they, you know, said it's just what it is. So I think that this conversation is saying that there's a spectrum mm -hmm. of masculinity. And I think it's important for us as influencers, as thought leaders to kind of talk through and discuss why this spectrum is not widely accepted and why men do not specifically black men feel like they don't have the space to explore the spectrum of masculinity and manhood specifically because i don't want to get this mixed up with sexuality or i don't want to get this mixed up with gender identification and things like that i would just want right. to think through like what we you know what we determine manhood and masculinity to be so in that regard i kind of want to know from you what are some of the things that may be you have discovered or you've lived through that maybe was acceptable at one point, but as you've grown and developed, it's like, mm, don't know about that. What was acceptable? I think it's actually been the reverse. Okay. Because for me, a lot of the things that was kind of frowned upon have mm -hmm. now been embraced. Okay. Um, I guess it's kind of twofold because I remember back in high school, one thing that was popular was wearing the oversized clothes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and size 36 jeans and i'm realistically in high school probably a 28 29 maybe a uh, boy's 20 right a boy's <laughs> 20 wearing four shirts i easily could have worn a small or a medium in high school yeah i could still yeah. wear a medium now that's neither here nor there um but but just now transforming into a young adult um, I still claim my young adulthood at 34. Um, now that I do wear my clothes a little bit more tailored, it's a little bit more acceptable mm -hmm. versus back then it was like your clothes too tight. So there's an acceptability factor that's different from now than then. Right, right. 
back then it was just it was just rough. And then um, there were so many. Let's see, even music wise, yeah. Um, I know it was popular for guys to be uh, no limit, cash money, rough riders, all of this stuff. But then as soon as you try to hit some R and B, it's like, oh, you soft, bro. Like, mm-hmm. what you doing? Listening to all this? I had the Ashanti album. <laughs> And I was criticized. Well, well we're judging you. For, I'm we're criticizing judging, my, a minute. I did, we're judging yeah. you for having this album. Like, it ain't got nothing to do with it. I mean, but that first album, it went. It you went. Mean, that, that boy heard Oh Baby 98 million times. <laughs> oh Baby. Listen, but I was no, foolish. But no, I, I think that's a great point. And what I think, which is beautiful about the generation that my sons are growing up in, is that I think they're going to have the ability to wear the baggy clothes if they want listen right. to all rap if they want listen to a, a mixture of country or whatever and people are going to i do think there is a certain level of overt sensitivity that we are seeing in this generation but with but with comes with that in the the benefit that comes with that is also that there's this uprising of acceptability so like for us where we had to wear or felt like anyway we had to wear because i also and i'm smaller than you right wore 3x and a size 38 Jabot for no jeans. reason <laughs> for no re- like bro literally could put my body in one leg is exactly. that my mama bought it she's like well, this fool want to wear this you want to wear and guess what we, we will wear a belt <laughs> we will wear a belt well, for one reason it, it, there was no possible way they were staying on us like literally it was nothing to hold on to i had nothing but bones there was nothing for <laughs> right. to hold on to i didn't play sports unless i had no muscle mass for it to hold on to and the shirts would literally just swim on me anyway right. like we felt like we had to i feel like what i like about this generation maybe a little bit envious of is that if joshua and them decide to do that number one they may be laughed at but they could do that or wear the skinny jeans or be preppy or be emo or be whatever whatever and people were like just consider that their style their personality it's except they would have really no i mean there's going to be some bullying and stuff because trends are still trends you know right. within schools but for the most part there will be really no judgmental sense of like I mean, cause even, just think about shorts today. Like right now, I'm not wearing any shorts that go beyond my knee. Like it's right above my knee. You know, right. the whole, you know, skies out, thighs out there. It's a thing. You know, now I'm not it's wearing like Daisy. I'm not wearing Daisy Dukes. Like I'm not wearing like super, super short shorts, but I wear shorts. I wear short pants. Right. And if we just look at the evolution of the NBA, like when LeBron first came to the league, those things were at his ankles. And exactly. They were shorts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And now they're not as short as they were back in Larry Bird's them days, but they are much more like they're short. right above that knee. They're right above the knee, though. And they're Sh- making shorts even more. that way. And yeah. but you got people like the classic Ralph Lauren shorts and the classic Tommy Hill figure. They've always been the same length. They've always been that yep. eight inch, nine inch, you know what I'm saying, type thing. So I think part of the difference is acceptability. But why, I guess. What was so damaging and traumatic for us is that there was a space where we didn't feel like if we broke the mold, why was not being accepted such a hard thing beyond the high school emotion politics of it? You know what I'm saying? I definitely understand what you're saying. I think it was just, we just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you know better, you do better. And I think if we knew like, hey, you know what, this is okay. This is a it's okay to look like this. You're going to be talked about, but if you're comfortable in your own skin, you're comfortable in who you are. Yeah. So what? But the, but the funny thing is 
even if I would have worn my dress-up clothes to school, I still would have had the same issue because I used to wear my suits way too big. <laughs> With those so, ridiculously fat knots and those ties. <laughs> listen, I had five buttons in my suits. <laughs> Three, four, five. Yeah, it was just oversized. And um, it would have been the same thing. So I guess even to take it to the church route, mm -hmm. because we were growing up in church, when you had your clothes fitted, it was looked upon as, oh, they, he may be suspect. You may need to watch out for him. But then as time grew on or time went on, it was like, you know what? Why are your clothes that big? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they need to be tailored to your body. So it's interesting how times have changed. It is. And I think you said something um, interesting, too, about how people would perceive you. And let's take that to a different level. How has the perception of how you identify with your masculinity influence your relationships with both relation like romantically and platonically mm -hmm. um i think it's been a journey mm -hmm. um i say it's been a journey just because i would consider myself at one time one point in time like a homophobe okay like i did not like the feminine guys i did not like uh, um the flamboyancy mm -hmm. um, of some men, but then as time went on and you grow, you learn, you, like I said, you know better when you do better, uh, when you know better, you will do better. So just interacting with other people and understanding, Hey, just because this guy doesn't like sports and I, let's talk about our friendship. Yeah. You don't like sports. No. <laughs> you, you said in the I group chat, I get really quiet when y'all talk. When exactly. I sports, I, exactly. I tap out. <laughs> now, unless it's like some drama mixed in with the sports, then you'll talk about it. But then our friendship is just based on church and it was and it's grown from there. So just because our common bond wasn't sports, it didn't take away from who you are as an individual. It doesn't take away from you. It doesn't take anything away from your masculinity. It doesn't emasculate you at all. Mm -hmm. um, it just makes you who you are. So we can even take that to the flip side where you have that, that, that macho guy, um, that macho homophobe guy who actually turns out to have that struggle with homosexuality. I won't call that uh, person's name because they're passed away, but there were um, allegations made against this pastor in Atlanta, or this bishop in Atlanta, that he was assaulting, sexually assaulting young men mm -hmm. um, and using his, um, influence in his power to get them to do random things or whatever so it's just interesting to see how things have transitioned in life and for me learning how how a person could be feminine but that doesn't mean he's a homosexual or a homosexual can also be just as hard as anybody in the gym so it throughout my life i've just learned that romantically and um, platonically with all my friendships, I just accept you as who you are. And I think that's so, I think that's so telling because it speaks to like, I guess the general theme of what I was talking about earlier is that there's no, there's no cookie cutter way to be the man that you are. Right. You just, you are who you are. And I think we all have our vices, our struggles, however you view vices and struggles based on your faith, your convictions, your upbringing, your morals, your whatever, right? Um, and because again, like for me, 
when I was in high school, I struggled, and I'll be honest, with that level of um, acceptability, one, but also people not understand. I think people, I was popular because I was smartest, smart. <laughs> <laughs> Had to catch it. I was smart. And uh, when I am smart, and I was like, I'm as much as I am like a sarcastic little prick sometimes, I am, I am also like pretty relatable, have this likability factor. Right. Okay? Um, so that was the thing I was, I'm charming and all this kind of stuff, but there were also times where I was just misunderstood because I, I introduced Sperry's to my high school. I was the first kid. I mean, I had on Dickies with him, nice, <laughs> but nice. I was like, but I was like one of the first, cause I went to an urban, you know, predominantly black. I told you about, I think I said this on the podcast mm -hmm. before I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, but it was like, you know, middle class, upper middle class, but there were also pockets of like, I won't say ghettos, but definitely apartments that were lower income right types of things right so like it was a it was all black but it was also some mixed upbringings in this school so when everybody else got on jays first of all my mom wasn't paying for jays let's start there but at, all. at the same time when i walked in there with my sperry's on they was like and i'm just like the kids i like them like, what are those yeah i'm i like them they're comfortable but and but i also walked in with a sense of confidence um and and that really did come to senior year so let's start there but it was a sense of confidence um that i had about it and it was around that time where i started understanding that i don't have to be um god rest his soul there was a guy um i don't have to be jay charles right too because <laughs> there, was, there was a guy that named jay charles i have to be him to be what you think a young man is or whatever this is i'm gonna be josh and i still dated a cheerleader um i was, I was still I would steal all of these different things, you know, mm -hmm. senior class president, all this other stuff without trying to subscribe to whatever the basketball players, the football players, the drug dealers, the listen, whatever. And I was friends listen. with all like I was friends with these people. Exactly. And they grew to respect me because I grew to really respect myself. And I think that's where it starts. And I think that that's another thing, because me as an individual. I'm not your tip. Like I grew up in the hood, but yeah. I don't sound like your typical hood dude. No, you don't sound like Ti in Atlanta. Yeah, I don't sound like Ti. Um, I would even take it a little bit further. I think pop culture wise, old Kanye West did a lot for me because <laughs> old Kanye West came out with the preppy look, and I was like, yeah. that's the look I want because that's me. I'm a preppy guy. I, I wouldn't say I'm stuck up. Or snobbish but i am uppity <laughs> mm -hmm. um i guess we can go the little richer route <laughs> i'm not conceited <laughs> I'm convinced. i am convinced <laughs> i am convinced Holy oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good insert right there um but yeah seeing kanye coming out and being a prep did so much for me because i was like you know what i like wearing polos yeah i don't have to wear these long t-shirts anymore I don't have to wear these big, huge baggy jeans. I can put on the blazer and call it a day and be good. So how has this evolution, I guess, increased the strength of brotherhood for you? It's just made me accept people who, for who they are. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've become a lover of people over the last 10 years. Yeah. Just understanding who they are, what makes them tick, what are the things they like. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's just made me want to understand people more mm -hmm. also becoming a better person for myself i think one of the best things that happened when we were both at um the same church we were given the task moons ago 
many moons ago. <laughs> I, th- I can't even tell you my church location right now. <laughs> yeah, that's what you have to have one to tell us. One. But go ahead. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were assigned with the task of helping the young men in our church. Um, it's called Young Men of Valor. Yeah, I and I remember one lesson in particular, <laughs> and we had the uh, manhood talk, and we were asking the students or the young men in the class, what makes you a real man? And this conversation was just hilarious because these young men were under the impression, I mean, they went with society's definition of what a man is. They should be, let me see, they should be like, at that time, like Ray Lewis and Terrell Owens and just... Kobe, LeBron, like these macho figures, like they're supposed to be wrestlers or something. But then it was funny because it's like, all right, so let's say one of these macho men is like a deadbeat dad. But then you have this gay guy over here, this homosexual guy. He takes care of his kids. Yeah. Pays all his bills. Does that mean he's not a real man? (laughs) And they were like, yeah, I mean, it definitely takes away. Why does it take it away? Right. Because he has a different sexual preference. That that doesn't take away from his masculinity at all. He's still a man. Right. <laughs> so it just it just describes his preference. Exactly. Exactly. So those kind of conversations I think helped me as well. Because mm-hmm. while I understood it, just to hear somebody else say it. Say it. It was like, you know what? It's eye-opening. It's, yeah. it's eye-opening. It's like, it's not just me. It's not like me just stuck in these thoughts. It's like other people understand it. Are stuck. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. Like, Because I remember in that conversation we were talking about, one of those conversations we were talking about purity and abstinence. Yeah. And, you know, in order for you to really be doing it, you got to be in there for four hours. And, <laughs> what? and you know, a, a quickie <laughs> is an hour and a half. And it's like, first, what are y'all doing? <laughs> let's, let's go there. And, and we couldn't go too deep because these were were church conversations and I, i'm right. thankful that we had the level of trust and transparency to where these young men were open with us so that we could you know give them as much wisdom as possible to kind of direct them so they could be responsible young men but at the same time some of those um revelations of what they thought about <laughs> just their experience even down to sexuality was again eye-opening and was like, so you're telling me if you're not with a woman intimately for at least three hours, then you're not a real man, you're not doing your thing. And I'm just like, you know, first of all, there are so many different, I, there's so many different problematic things sexually with that time frame. If you're exactly. talking about pure penetration and this podcast is for the adults, so amen. You can go see a doctor if that's right. the case. Right, like, yeah, both because, you know, either you ain't doing something right or she got bad box. There's a, there's a few things Hello. going on. It's, I mean, it's just, but that ain't what this is about. Anyway, but the fact that that particular nuance, again, is attached to manhood. And if somebody said, well, shoot, me and my wife got a quickie in. We was 10 minutes. Oh, you ain't no real man. You ain't hitting it right. Like, excuse me? Like, did we well, both clap? I can do a lot that? of 10 minutes. Right. Did we both clap? You know what I'm saying? Like, and so, again, I think there are so many different stereotypes and stigmas that's attached to what manhood is. Like, even what I'm even loving about this current time is that this is the age of the, of the skinny brother we thriving like <laughs> we have I mean, and i think it's also because people we talk about body shaming a lot with women but i think particularly in men as as while it's not as prevalent 
there is this whole concept that if you ain't buff and diesel and oily on right. Instagram and stuff, then you're not attractive. You're not sexy. You don't have it. But there are brothers like the um the Wiz Khalifas who are super skinny and right. you know Lil Nas X who has somebody's attracted to their brother. You know what I'm saying? Somebody. All these other brothers who are you know are slim who are just out here. And even not, it just even like your breezies, like breezy's popular, but he ain't never been no buff, skinny. whatever kind of skinny, you know, skinny dude. So I think there's this level of acceptability out there too. Cause it makes me think about the episode of a different world where um Willie was doing like the men of Hillman and her engineer got uh got sick or something. And Dwayne was like, I could do it. She was like, no, I, you know, and she tried to play it off as if she wanted to like protect him as her boyfriend. And it was really because he was, you know, a slim guy, but it showed that if you ain't beefy and buff and a beefcake, as I used to say in the night, in the nineties, <laughs> beefcake, but, you know what I'm saying? Like then there's like, there's a certain level of, I mean, even going back to good times, the mm -hmm. consistent joke with JJ was that he was a beanpole. He was a stick right. and, it, and it came at him as far as how tough he was and again your toughness is associated with your manhood so if you're not tough if you're not strong then you're not a man and you know what I'm saying something about you is diminished because you don't have those things so i think it's it's attached a lot you know even in just how our bodies are presented but what were you going to say bro man when you said jj and him being tough let's talk about that daddy <laughs> Because as masculine as he was, he definitely had a lot of issues. Oh. I mean, several issues. Toxic. One of the most toxic fathers on television. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I won't even get into all that. There's so many episodes, there's so many episodes that could be birthed from this conversation. One, I started thinking about um, Ron on Different World and the conversation that we had earlier. Um, do light-skinned guys get away with not being able to dress because of their looks? <laughs> I remember that conversation we had, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm gonna throw it back to you. Go ahead. No, <laughs> but no, I think no, I think that's important too. When you just think about, we were talking about how this evolves into brotherhood, and one thing that I know is that before I became really close with you and Brian and Marcus and you know some of the guys I went to school with, college Johnny and Jadarian and, and Jason, some of those guys and people who I've through the frat, you know, I you. I have it's interesting about brotherhood and friendship circles, and we'll talk about this in an episode, maybe one day down the line. Um, friendships um, <laughs> is that you know you have pockets of friendships, but my my right. inner circle is really about five, six people, and even in that, there's one or two, maybe three that get nah, you know, just all of it. But I say all of that to say is that before I've matured to the, some of the places that I'm in now, there's no way in the world you'll catch me telling my brother, I love you, man. Right. Like, randomly. You know what I'm saying? Or, like, you've moved out of town. they be like, bro, I miss you, bro. Like, we should, we should be hanging out. We should be doing this. I mean, because Definitely. for a time, if I say, if I, told my, if I told my friend, I miss you, man to man, like, you miss him. And it was like, <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, I do. Like, this is an emotion. Like, this is right. one of my best friends. Like, through what I would consider my formative years as an adult, like we had a rocky start. <laughs> Very but, rocky. But once we became friends, you're talking about, shoot, I've been in Atlanta 12 years. So you're talking about a solid 10 year, maybe French, like solid friendship. Right. And then 
this friend just moves to Memphis, moves to move to my hometown. Your hometown. To my hometown. You know what I'm saying? And and the and because the dynamics of your relationship changed because the majority of our friendship, you were single. Right. So like I tell you all the time, sometimes me processing my day was with my best friend on the ride home. And right. I just needed somebody to talk through. And we worked on ministry teams together. So it was also an opportunity to talk through concepts and team stuff and all that other kind of stuff. But the, but the, 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 the I will say the content, but the, the perspective and the nuances of our friendship shifted when you moved, when you got married. And, uh, and even with me being married, like I wasn't like when I got home, I got off the phone, you know what I'm saying? Right. And, and I think, but I said all that to say, it, it's not common for somebody to be like, oh man, you you were on the phone. You can talk to this person every day, or you can Bro. say you miss this person, or <laughs> you can say that you love this person. And it's due. Like, I love this person like he's my brother because he is. And I think how we debunk that is taking off those, allowing us to feel in every day. And there's that thing again, in every perspective or transferring that to every type of relational interaction that we have. And I think even with that, us as men, we do ourselves a disservice when we're not able to have somebody that we can talk to. Yeah. Because a lot of people would think it's absolutely weird or whatever that two guys can talk on the phone for at least an hour. Mm -hmm. At least an hour, we will be on the phone and it'll just, the conversation just flows. It's no awkward silences, there's no awkward moments, and it's just an authentic conversation. And it's one of the safe. It, it is the safest place that yeah. you can have a conversation. One, we're both in our cars. We can let everything out, and then all those emotions that we feel is like, dude. It one of the best things ever is having someone you can just totally just let loose with, and they don't hold it against you. Mm -hmm. They don't hold it over your head. They're not going to bring it back up in other conversations. Is literally a conversation between you and the other. But the best thing about it that takes it even further is if I'm venting and I'm getting this out, you have no problem. You have total license to be like, "All right, Chris, I'm glad you got it out, but you're wrong." Oh, absolutely. And that's what takes our I'm, that's I'm what takes our brotherhood to another level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the other piece too when you're talking about debunking because a lot of, woo. This is going. <laughs> let's just let's just keep talking, because a lot of times, especially among men, is we have this thing where we call accountability really just this sharing of stories and you know measuring our dicks against each other because we want to see right. who who had more women or who had this or who had that and all this other kind of stuff. But it's it's really about I know in our friendships this level of accountability because if. If you're wrong or if I'm wrong, like you've you've had to check me and you would let me rant and rave and tell my side and justify why I'm thinking I'm right. Cause you know me, I'm gonna give a good justification why I think I'm right, right. anyway. And you'd be like, Josh, I hear you, but did exactly. you think about this? And you and knowing me, I'm gonna get quiet for half a second. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I did and you know, and it's the same thing for you. Like, I'll let you get it out, I'm gonna let you say it and be like, but Chris, but you were wrong. Yep. I get it, she made you mad, but yeah, you were wrong. <laughs> and the crazy thing is we we can be the voice of reason for each other. Mm -hmm. Like I can be devil's advocate, but I can also be the accountability partner. Um, one thing that I think is interesting, even going to the male emotions, um, I don't know if you had this in, this, in your questionnaire, 
but one thing that came to mind, one of the most difficult conversations I had to have uh, was with my wife. And this was a conversation surrounded about me getting out my emotions and yeah. me not acting out like a punk. I'll say it like that. Mm-hmm. Me being able to voice my frustration should not ever be equated to, oh, you and your feelings? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or it shouldn't ever be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Or I didn't want to hear you be a punk about it. I didn't want to hear you trip about it. it you happens. know what? And that's so, it's so interesting because I think what happens a lot of times is that when we're little boys mm-hmm. and we fall to hurt ourselves, get up, don't cry, wipe your face. Or we hear boys don't cry, and we grow up with these different concepts of crying. Now, when my children cry, I tell them to stop crying because they've been crying for thirty minutes, and it's right. time to like be, you know, all right. Uh, and if and sometimes when they fall on the ground, like they they legit are just kind of hurt. I'm like, all right, you feel the pain, dust it off, and literally they will stop crying and keep running. I don't ever suppress their emotions, right? Uh, but I think we grew up in an age where a lot of times our emotions were suppressed because boys don't cry, boys aren't emotional, and I think we keep growing up, and then we get to the place where we're with a young lady or you know your partner, whatever your juice is, right. and um, and you're not open. It's like, but why aren't you talking? Why are you shutting me out? It's like I've been conditioned my entire life not to suck it up to just suck it up and then in your case when i finally get you know the one and i can feel like this is my place of vulnerability but you in turn were also raised that men don't cry men don't do this men don't do that because maybe you saw your dad maybe that's how your dad taught your brother abc one two three now everything that i've worked on to be vulnerable has now been thrown in the trash because what what is supposed to be my safe place has now recreated trauma and now and i'm now and i'm now confined to a cave in which is supposed to be my place of freedom i'm a literally a cave in in a cave nested in my palace because i don't know how to be vulnerable with the one that i'm supposed to be completely open with when all you know is you know, emotionally shut down and emotionally cut off. So I think the fact that you were able to even have that conversation while it may have been tough is a good one. And it's kind of the opposite for me. I am not one that doesn't express their feelings. I have a hard time sometimes communicating it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if you know me, then you know when I'm off. Right. People who don't know me probably, again, I do suffer from resting face. Um, that's something that I, you know, and sometimes I'm not that approachable because of it. And, but sometimes when you walk up over like, Oh no, I'm fine. How are you? Like, I'm good. But for the most, but if you know me, know me, you know, beyond those layers when I'm just looking into space versus when I'm really got something going on. And my, one of my biggest issues is sometimes letting people in. I'll give you a piece. Like, I don't right. like talking about it or this is happening. I'll give you enough to leave me alone. Um, but what I am getting more comfortable with, and therapy is helping this too. And shout out to all my brothers. Go to sit on somebody's couch. I think we all need to process absolutely some stuff at some point. But what therapy is helping me do is that even in those moments when I don't want to talk, is at least being honest to say, hey, it's a lot going on. And it's nothing like you didn't do anything wrong. I just don't have the capacity to talk mm-hmm. to you right now. And I think also being okay with not having that capacity, even if it's with your spouse and not feeling forced to circle back to it. Like 
we can talk about it at some point, but just because I'm feeling better does not mean that I'm in a space where I want to delve out what right. I was feeling just because you see that I'm happier now. Or like I said, I think I, I think before we got on live, I said that today was really, for me, a tough day emotionally. And what you're hearing on the podcast may sound exuberant, but that's because I have to do this podcast. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to get on here and be like, oh, you know, you know, feeling kind of bad. You know, woe is me. I'm right. just, I'm not, I, I would have just canceled it. Uh, so part of it is not a front. Part of it is me understanding that there's a job to do, but it doesn't discount that today was still a tough day emotionally, that today was still a day that I didn't want to do it. So I, I overall to that point, we're going to wrap up soon, is that I think all men need, I think one of the ways that we break it down, we've discussed a few different ways that we break down some of these things, is having those safe places. Right. Um, and I think, and I'm going to help women right here specifically, is that the ultimate, you are not, always his soul safe space right because sometimes what he needs as an escape is from you um hello and it doesn't diminish who you are it's it doesn't just, take away from who you it are doesn't take away from who you are right. or what your role is what it means is that some because let's just let's use an extreme example let's just say erectile dysfunction right mm -hmm. if that's like that affects us, you know, as a right. couple. I'm not coming to you and talking. <laughs> like, what am I gonna say to you? What am I gonna say? What to are you gonna say to you? you what are you gonna you, say to me? Right, right, you know what's going on. So, and there could be something that I could have with my brother to say, "Hey, man, the last few times I couldn't get it up." Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's just mm -hmm. that's us. Especially you have a brother where you can really talk that through. Now, that's an extreme example, but I'm just saying there are certain things and concepts. Like, for another example, I'll take it personal. I'm laid off. Like, while I can talk to my wife about how I'm feeling and things like that, I can go to my dad, though, from a husband, from a father, from a person who was laid off during the first recession and really have a conversation about how I feel. And he ain't going to give me the, it's going to be okay. You know right. what I'm saying? I actually just had that conversation not too long ago. And he was just like, you know, you know what he gave me? Um, that actually recentered me in a way that I didn't think it would. He was like, I know how you feel. It sucks. Like he, he gave me a reality of like, I don't have, like he eventually encouraged me. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, right, I, right. I've been praying for you, blah, blah, blah. But his, one of his initial response was like, I know, like I, it sucks. I get it. And, I, and in so many ways, when I was looking for JB, the Superman, he just gave me JB, the man. And I appreciated that much more in that moment than I would have. I think that was good love. for you too. Yeah. I think that was good for you too, because it brought him down from Superman to your level and then now y'all can like he yes. can work you through this yes. he doesn't have to be superman he could just work you work right through this and that's part of the vulnerability and the transparency right because so many men are creating this facade that we got it all together that i have to be these and i think that goes back to the first point meeting all needs yep. and my dad was like i ain't got that for you right now what i got is this reality and i'm gonna tell right. you that i went through it too and i struggled and it was tough but i got a job I made it through. You know what I'm saying? Our lights were never turned off. ABC one, two, three. And to your point, yes, it brought him down. It was almost his kryptonite. The mm -hmm. fact that his son was struggling as as he once was. But for me, it was strength because if what who I consider Superman has felt like I felt and he's still Superman, then that means that I too can be and you know, my very own Avenger or Justice League member. You know what I'm saying? I can, <laughs> exactly. I can do it too. So um, any final thoughts, bro, or 
and I know we could probably go through this another hour, two, three hours, but and there's so any, much we can say with this. Right. So many things, especially when you start talking about I think you mentioned TV shows and music and how all of that impacts um Tory Lanes. Uh, <laughs> it just made me think about that and just Chile. You know, let's just okay. Let's end it like this because I have so many things that come to my mind that's not on my so we're gonna touch on just a little bit. That, yeah, not on my production. Okay. Show. Let's just talk about real quick how <laughs> the sometimes our toxic masculinity has actually been the thing that's allowed us not to defend and protect women. I saw a thread <laughs> that <laughs> talked about the men on why did I get married, how they didn't protect Sheila. <laughs> so, oh, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking it back real quick. Wow. Okay. So it's like so many layers to it, um, but we're going to go, we're, we're going Tory Lanez. I mean, we don't have to go Tory Lanez. He just, when I said music, his name popped up and it just, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave Tory Lanez where he is. I'm going to leave the 5'3 critter where he is. <laughs> Did I give him an inch? I'm going to say 5'2. Let me go back to 5'2. Um, Tory Lanez can go. <laughs> Where's Ice. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely saw that petition. But no, but to that point, though, I think a lot of times what we've seen as traditional masculinity or societal values have has kind of put this bros before women type thing. And it's been damaging because as much sure. as I'm like me and you. Right. Let's just say the Miami trip that was supposed to happen. God rest its soul. Let's have um, a moment of silence. Let's have a moment of silence <laughs> for that. But no, like me and you are out. <laughs> and let's just say we're having a really good time, right? And all mm -hmm. that that encompasses. Um, and I see some Latina chick flirting, right? For a moment, I might just stand to the side. But as your brother, I'm going to eventually step in and be like, all right. All <laughs> right. Come on, Chris. Come on, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because... You know, as much as we're not superstars or celebrities or anything like that, like the world is like, we were just having a conversation about a business idea that you have and mm -hmm. you were looking at something. I was like, oh, I know him. And it was just right. like that, could, you know what I'm saying? The world is super, super, super small. Um, so like, that's number one. Number two, I want you to be a good husband. I want right. you to be, you know what I'm saying? And not that you were going to do anything crazy, but I think we've gotten so caught up in protecting our bros that we've abandoned women or our women, True. you know what I'm saying? Our mothers, our daughters, our sisters, our wives, our, you know, girlfriends, all that different type of stuff. And, and there should be no point bringing the, you know, the five, three critter back into the conversation that you got so angry with someone that your, your first result was to shoot her. Um, or that you had no, or to the, why'd I get married thing that this is so much your boy that there was at no point. Now, maybe you don't expose, you know, what you knew going on because that, you know, was for them to kind of talk through. But there was no right. point where you really covered your other friend who had to walk in a blizzard, who had to, Man. you know what I'm saying? You heard the way he talked to her in front of the group. You know what I'm saying? Like those are And you know this woman and his wife? Exactly. And, you, and these and she, are the and kind she of on his trip. Exactly. So while you may not necessarily blow up the spot because that is something for them to work through, at the same time, you know, if it was me, you it was can't like pull Chris, him to the side. It's like, Chris, bro. You need to you need to talk to her better, like because if we if we don't have that conversation in the cabin, I'm definitely going to shoot you a text like, "Hey, bro, we need to carve out some time this weekend. We mm -hmm. need to talk." Yeah, but you but you also you know ain't me. right. I'm pulling like when they was sitting outside. I'm pulling you. I'm we talking outside, Chris. 
Nah, fam. <laughs> this ain't right. We, we ain't going the rest of this trip with you and such and such. Because I remember the last time we was in Miami, me and Ashley got into a tiff. And the next day, we were kind of, you know, as, as T.I. would say, at odds. And, um, <laughs> and Jadarian and Johnny pulled me to the side and was like, as mad as you are, as justified as you think you are, you need to fix this. And we are not about to go to the rest of this trip. And I wasn't disrespecting her. I was just like, we were mad at each other. So my ignore, my ignore game is strong. <laughs> and I have grown. But even in that moment, you know what I'm saying, they were – yeah, they covered me and they had my back, but they were boys. You need to fix that with your that's your wife. And you're right. not gonna be over here having fun and kick in with us. And she's you know, she's mad at you. And it was something trivial too. But at the same time, I, I was ignoring her feelings and they called me to the carpet. So I said that to say the next like what we also need to do is while we're restructuring or exploring the spectrum of what masculinity is and manhood is, is really dig into that concept where we not only just exchange stories and cover our brothers, because I think right. that is a that is a place, but we also need to really hold them accountable. Uh, and that doesn't mean like exposing them to the world. It means really having conversations and creating, again, a safe space where and if their brother don't receive it, that's one thing. Right. But holding it's time to build it. Yeah. So as we close out, Chris, just talk through real quick how a brother can create that kind of safe space for another brother to be receptive to and be able to receive, reciprocate that level of accountability. It definitely, it definitely takes trust. Mm -hmm. um, I think conversations have to happen. Um, I think back to when we first started to become like really close. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I went through like a hazing process almost because you just like threw it out there like, Hey, I'm about to get this tattoo. Me being the staunch Kojic guy, like, uh, okay, you probably <laughs> shouldn't do that. <laughs> but it was those moments where you just threw it out there where some other people, they probably need to set up disclaimers. Like, hey, what I'm about to share with you is going to be heavy. I just need to get this off my chest. Mm -hmm. Keep this between us. So it, you really have to find really have to understand who you're talking to uh kind of understand their their technique and their approach as far as communication goes yeah uh because somebody can't just because i can handle all of somebody doesn't mean somebody else can you're not going to be a perfect fit for everyone every piece yeah. is not going to work for that puzzle mm -hmm. so you're just gonna have to try some things out and there are going to be some times where you get burned and it's okay you you don't have to burn that bridge just because you got burnt. You just know, okay, I know I can't share this type of information with this person. So on to the next. That doesn't mean cut this person off or um, shut this person down. It just means that for whatever this situation is, I can't talk to this person. Right. I got to go to someone else. Mm -hmm. So definitely carve out um, those times where you can set up disclaimers. Ooh, that's good. That's a whole other and, conversation because everybody doesn't deserve all of you. They don't, everybody can't handle all of you. Yeah. So definitely set up disclaimers, set up boundaries, um, let people know head on. Like at this point, me and you, when you tell me stuff and I tell you stuff, it's automatically like, I know what I can say, what I can't say. More than likely, like 95% is not going to be said. Mm -hmm. So 
it, and that's and, 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 and error. Yeah, you said, and I'll really, I'm gonna wrap it up for real this time. But you said something so great is that when you really develop those spaces of accountability and brotherhood, that goes beyond what we see traditionally. Like I don't have to tell you, don't tell nobody. Right. Or this is between me and you, um, because it's just like it's just certain. It's a certain tones and certain things that I'm just not going to bring out and i know and it'll never come up and if it comes up in conversation with somewhere else because you said something to somebody else exactly me um and it's just and again that's the part of covering you but what somebody may not know is that in the midst of that is how i held you accountable Mm -hmm. what i wanted you to do as next steps um example without exposing what the idea is you came to our group with an idea. I hit you on the side. It was like, Chris, I'm expecting certain things in a few days. Right. And, you know, and it's just, and it's, again, it don't matter what I was expecting. And I'm not coming at you as a father, as a, anything like that. But I know, I know my friend. I know his pressure <laughs> points. I know his weaknesses. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, he's coming at me excited. Let's make sure that this goes through. Let's make right. sure that this happens. And I think that's a place. And when I, and I told you why I was going to do that. You was like, <laughs> you know me. I'm like, I know I do. And, but this is yep. a great idea. And I don't want you to, I don't want you to, you know what I'm saying? Sit on it. And right. to your point, it takes trust. It takes understanding. And again, no shade to anybody else, but that's not, it doesn't matter that I didn't share that with any, like they'll know in their time. And I don't even have to get the credit to say that I pushed them, that I told right. them to do this. Like that don't, I don't matter. I just want to, you know, I, I want my one part that I requested. <laughs> that's all I want. I got you. <laughs> part that I requested. That's all the I funny need. thing is, like, we joke about so many movies and everything, but one of the movies that we that establishes our friendship is Bad Boys Two. Um, the funniest thing is the box. <laughs> the box. We have a box that's thrown deep, deep, deep. In the ocean. <laughs> that thing is down there with the Titanic. <laughs> it's down there, and it comes out every once in a while. We throw whatever we got to say in there and throw it right back. We discuss it and we throw it right back. And the thing about the box is so deep that I don't even, I ain't going to say I don't remember, but there's nothing bringing up what was last put in there. It's just, right. once it's in there, it's, it's in, in there. there. We, uh, don't go, we don't go through no uh, Rolodex in there. Ain't no Rolodex. No there ain't it's no almost, files in there. It's almost like a shredder at the bottom of it. <laughs> once you throw it in there, it gets destroyed. You won't see me preaching about no box. Listen, listen. <laughs> I couldn't leave the show without throwing some shade. And, and what shade it was. Jesus. All right. Uh, bro, I think this was a really help. This this conversation has, has done a lot for me. And I'm thinking that it's going to do a lot for other brothers and even women who kind of want insight to, you know, maybe understanding this modern man and right. you know, debunking what. And again, like me and Chris are not the total. Like we talk about the spectrum. Me and Chris are not the totality of manhood and masculinity. And as much as we agree on quite a bit of things, we are still very different people very different um, and that's not a bad thing it's just like that's we have a, we have a lot of commonalities and all the things in common we are very different our approaches even to our marriages to you know how we work our work ethic all those different types of things it's not bad it's just different and sometimes it different. works um so i don't even want you to leave this conversation saying oh him and his friends you know no we're not saying that with the blueprint what we're right. saying is that what we're i mean you know, I'm convinced. No, <laughs> we <laughs> but, are, 
but for the sake of this conversation, we're not the blueprint. We're right. just an example. The example, the template. The so template. <laughs> but no, um, I, I do. I do want even my brothers to understand that it is okay for you to fully explore all of you, all of your thoughts, all of the things that you want to know about yourself and how you feel, and to be expressive in those feelings. And again, go to therapy. Take some some moments for self care to not only just talk about issues and traumatic experiences and toxic experiences. Like, I don't think we really delved into what toxic masculinity was or is. Like, we can definitely go into that um, at, a, at another time. But sometimes therapy is just for you to celebrate the good stuff because as weird as it seems, we don't always have a, a crew of brothers that we can celebrate with. So right. just being able to process even that and how you deal with it. Um, we have a friend um, who I feel like one-ups conversations when, you know, we're talking about certain things. They'd be like, oh, I'm doing this. And it's just like, eh, okay, God bless you. All right. Um, you know, all righty. You know, but I also appreciate the group of friends that we do have Then we're throwing stuff in the chat to where we're all supportive and we're all, you know, say shouting each other out and, you know, congratulating each other and all. And nobody is jealous or irritated by anyone's random achievements or examples of success or things like that. So that is that. And I'm super excited about the friendship and brotherhood, how I've grown and how I've been honored and privileged to see you grow, brother. And um, likewise, man. To, yeah, for us to keep doing this thing. So tell the people, um, how they can follow you, what you got coming up, you know, and, it, and we've already said he has an idea in the books, but, you know, let us know, you know what I'm saying, what you got going on, man. Um, so you can follow me on Facebook, um, Christopher D. Moore. Um, on Twitter, I'm Chris D. underscore Moore, and Instagram is Real Chris Moore. Um, I do have some things coming up. Uh, as a quick story, uh, all of my brothers this year have like dropped major news that they're working on. Yeah. Um, it usually happened on their birthdays or some type of special day. Josh didn't drop his news on his birthday because his birthday is coming up. Um, but I was inspired on my birthday. I had nothing, but I'm turning 34. Mm -hmm. Um, but lately I have, uh, developed a love and appreciation for golf. Um, so I'm definitely working on some things here. Uh, is we're, we're definitely in the research and development stage. Yeah. Uh, but once we get out this R and D stage, man, to Pluto, we go, I'm not even going Pluto to the, we go. I'm trying to go to Pluto. Let's do it. That's what's up, man. And we're going to hold you accountable because in this jigsaw of life, we figured <laughs> these things out together and you've been on the couch. So once we get off this couch, we go back to journeying through life that's a good close yeah to, to figure this thing out so we're going to wrap this up and we're going to go into you know the segment that we do i am my brother's keeper and talk about some black men self-care what's going on y'all we're going to get into some black men self-care in this segment of i am my brother's keeper uh, i'm gonna throw it to my brother first chris what you got going on what are you doing for self-care Oh, for self-care this weekend, man, I've been pulling 60-hour work weeks the last few weeks. Mighty so God. I am taking some time to myself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not being a husband. <laughs> I am a husband, but I won't be in the role of You won't rest in the role of it. I hear yeah, you. I'm, I'm resting the role of it. Uh, I'm going to shoot me some golf. Um, okay. NBA season is back, so I will probably be watching some games. Uh, I am getting a haircut this weekend. 
Amen. Glory to God. Um, that's all I have. Oh, and on Sunday, I'm going to somebody's church online. Hey, hey. <laughs> I'm going to somebody's church online again. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been on a Sunday. Um, but that's going to be part of my self-care weekend. Got you. I think for me, well, I don't think what I'm going to do is that I've started the heat challenge. Anyone who knows about the heat challenge, it is, it is intense body transformation. And so I'm going to take this week and I love to cook. So I'm going to take this weekend to really explore vegan recipes. Um, I haven't taken out meat, but I do want some vegan recipes uh, to kind of throw into there. Um, some ways I can incorporate some really high protein stuff. So I'm going to be really in my cooking bag and meal prepping because one of the benefits of being at home doing quarantine and being laid off is that I haven't had the need to meal prep because I have the ingredients. I just go in there and cook. But I, but this week, because I want to do intentional recipes and explore and get wrapped up. I love to cook and I like to listen to the ancestors while I cook. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they God. They tell me how many how many ounces of spice. Oh, God. <laughs> but mm. no, I, I want to I really want to get wrapped up in the beauty and the creativity of creating dishes. Um, that's really their feed. I'm, I'm Southern. So feeding people is a love language and I want to get caught up in that. So that's so I'm going to be doing, brother. Cool. And thank you again for having me on here. Um, I definitely want to send you some positive vibes. You're doing a great thing. Thank you for having me uh, continue to be a light in this uh, dark time um, that we call the pandemic. So definitely appreciate you with the Jigsaw podcast. While we're trying to navigate this thing called life. I hope Come we did some navigating today. Listen, now that just touched my heart. It made me think about Gladys. Night oh, that God. is. <laughs> Keep shining. <laughs> Keep smiling, knowing you can always count on me. You are really an old soul. For sure. <laughs> you are a straight up Memphis. That's what friends are for. Through good times and bad times. You're about to tap I'll in, y'all. on your side forevermore. <laughs> Ooh, that's what friends are Oh, no, I appreciate that though, bro. I really do. I really do. I have I never heard that song before. Really? So it's a Gladys Knight song, but she also sings it at Sinclair and Overton's engagement party. So they all live in single because she's she's Overton's mom. Y'all know I love she, living single. She's Jamie Foxx's mom on the Jamie Foxx show. <laughs> y'all, y'all know I love living single. Y'all know I love living single. Wait a minute. What Jamie Foxx's mama? Um it was Harry. <laughs> he done had two mamas. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't you talk don't you use this to talk about the jamie bye we're not having this conversation she's a recurring character but she couldn't even be stable <laughs> all right y'all we gonna get we're ending this <laughs> we are ending it let's go into the final segment of the show a greater conversation <laughs> let me talk let me talk So if your president, Donald Trump, could not get any more stupid, he just recently did that in an interview that he did with HBO. The interviewer asked him a myriad of questions, and I could not even sit through the entire thing because I was so livid and so upset by his responses, his lack of education, his seeming comfortability with ignorance, and his just natural propensity to be a complete 
idiot, right? That's just the nicest, that's the nicest thing that I could say. But what really frustrated me the most was not so much that he tried to bring out these graphs and statistics that he didn't even understand about COVID and the numbers and the deaths and the relation to deaths to population and things like, you know, just basic stuff that you learn in stats or things that you should know as a public administrator, right? That didn't frustrate me because I know that he's not a public administrator. I know that he lacks the aptitude to adequately lead and he lacks the degrees and the experience to do what he's supposed to be doing in the office that he sits in. That is not what bothers me the most. What bothered me the most about this particular interview was that the interviewer asked Donald Trump about his thoughts concerning the late great um, Congressman John Lewis. And he had the nerve to say that I don't know him. I did not know him and that he did not attend my inauguration. Like, at what point does that have to do with anything? Now, we all know that Congressman Lewis openly spoke out about his disdain for the current president. But at the same time, there is a level of respect that death right should kind of what's the word that i want to use um that death should almost make you put a you know put down everything that you may have disagreed upon and honor the life and the work that this man has done and then he had the nerve to say, even in the same interview, when the interview was trying to talk about some of the things that John Lewis had done in forms of civil rights and voter equity and things like that. He says, no one, he's done a lot of things, but no one has done more for black people than I have. Have you lost your complete mind? You've done nothing for African-American people. Absolutely nothing that has helped us move the needle. I get so sick and tired of politicians specifically leading on these records that are really, that are really built on the backs of the previous president. A lot of the success that you've seen economically is because of some of the policies that were in place by President Obama. And the reason why that is true, I am a student of political science. And what you would understand is that some of the policies that you enact, or even if you're not a student of political science, if you just know anything about policy implication and implementation, that you understand, like, if you can implement something today, that it typically would not have residual effects until a few years later, where you're able to really measure how that policy has affected the group or, you know, the cohort of people that it was intended to affect, right? So let's, let's, let's do this, for example. Let's just say that every um, former felon is able to get their voting rights reenacted, um, you know, re reinstated rather in every state. Let's say that passes, I don't know, January 2021, okay? You'd have just had an election. You would not really know some of the policy implications of that until maybe the next major presidential election or maybe whatever kind of special election or local election that could happen in respective cities. But if you want to look at it nationally, it is going to take years because different cities and different states are in different voting cycles. But we don't have a kind of collective as a nation um, voting response except for every four years. So it would literally be, uh, what is that? 2024, when we'll be able to really see, and really 2025 after it's all over, to really see the measures of that policy. Why is that important to this conversation? Because that means that if one particular legislative body passed it next year, right, then it will take almost another three to four years for us to really understand that implication. Now, what an unskilled politician would be able to say is that, you know, 
um, former felons or former in, incarcerated people had you know, were able to get all of their voters right reinstated under my administration. No, that didn't pass under you. That passed in the previous administration. We just were now able to see the results of that policy being acted out now. That is the type of thing that Donald Trump is doing. That's how he's able to ride this coattail of a thriving economy and people doing what they're supposed to do. Right now, the economy is going down because you have mishandled this pandemic that we're being in. You've taken it as a joke. You've um, said that masks were not necessary. You've done all these type of things. We have seen if you were left in, if everything was left in your hands and you were able to implement policies based on how you think, Shoot, you can even run successful businesses. A lot of your businesses have went bankrupt, right? You have totally dismantled families by not paying them, by, you know, saying these businesses being bankrupt. These families have now been affected, right, by no longer having jobs and no longer receiving the pay that they were promised. We know the type of business acumen and the type of things that you've done. I did not vote for you based on your business acumen because I know that you are a piss poor businessman. I did not vote for you based on your politics because you don't have a clear sense of what real politics and legislation and policy is about. I did not vote for you because I agree with you consciously because you have no conscience. I did not vote for you because I agree with your ideas and your ethics because you are unethical. I did not vote for you because you aligned with social justice because you are a racist, you are a bigot, you are a homophobe, and you are a xenophobe. I did not vote for you because I utterly dislike you as a human. And if it was not for my Christian values, there's a few other words that I would use towards you. What am I saying? You are a terrible person. And I cannot imagine why anybody would have ever wanted to make you the president of these United States. But it really doesn't surprise me because the United States is one of the most racist, one of the most misogynistic, one of the most imbalanced nations that we can ever encounter. Everything is pretty much built on the backs of others. We talk about people pulling themselves up from the bootstraps, but we really sold, stole this land from native people who are already here and then built the success and the wealth of it by transferring people from their native countries and building it on the backs of slaves. So the fact that you cannot even honor Congressman Lewis and in spite of all of the crap that you spew every day, in spite of all of the foolishness that you find yourself in, in spite of everything, the only thing that you could say was the lie that you do more for black people was the lie that you didn't know who Congressman Lewis was. And you and I saw you try your best to choose your words carefully because, you know, if you would have said just a few more things like this. This grapple for numbers and this grapple for this reelection that you're barely hanging on to. Like, I'm not hoping that I'm not hoping that you get out of office uh, or I'm not like optimistic that you're going to get out of office. I do believe this is still going to be a real fight. But I do understand and I sense the fear that you have with possibly losing this election. So I saw the real effort with you trying to keep it as respectful as you could. And you still failed because you still disrespected one of the greatest human beings that ever walked this earth. This man has done more for the United States and for people, not only just black people, especially our people, but this man has done more for people at large than you would ever do in a lifetime. You could live another 1,000 years and your life would still not be able to be measured by that of Congressman John Lewis. When you say his name, when his name is mentioned in the room, you respect it and you honor what he did. You do not disrespect him by going off and, to, and, and talking outside of your neck about him not coming to your inauguration. He disagreed with your politics. 
He disagreed with some of the in, in asinine things that you said and you displayed as a quote unquote leader of a quote unquote free nation. But at no point would I don't think that we he would have disrespected you in death the way that you did him. It was deplorable. It was egregious. And you should repent. You're terrible. And I cannot wait. It is my sincerest prayer that you get out of office. That is that on it. None of us are perfect. But, sir, man. And that wraps up. Oh, my God. That wraps up this week's episode of the Jigsaw. Um, this is a great one. I'm glad that you stuck in. You hung in there with us for today. Um, as you know, that we want you to subscribe and to tell your friends to subscribe and to keep rating the podcast. Again, we are celebrating reaching over 1,000 downloads and counting. So to keep us growing, please do that. I'm so excited that you're going to be able to do that for me. Um, rate that joint five stars. Push that like button. Hit those subscribe buttons. Push that five-star button. Leave us some positive comments. I would really, 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 really appreciate it. Um in terms of announcements, I've been telling y'all that we're going to do a Super Soul Sunday type concept, and it is finally here. And it is what we're calling Sunday School. It's going to be quick, maybe about 25, 30 minutes of a show where we just kind of interview some really dope people who are doing great things in the community, doing great things in, in their faith and in organizations. We're going to talk about some really amazing concepts uh, each Sunday, almost as a, well, not almost, as a point of encouragement. And our first one starts August 16th. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to drop Sunday morning. So I know most of us are quarantined. So as you're getting ready for e-church, you can pop on the Jigsaw Sunday School Edition and um, you can keep up with us in terms of encouragement from a cultural perspective. Listen, because culture is a thing. I'll talk about that another time but it's a thing but uh, i'm not going to get into that right now but be sure to follow us on socials at the jigsaw podcast thank you for tuning in last week we had a dope conversation with my boy brian Hare. you always know it's fun when he's in the living room so thank you again for that be sure to write in on the podcast you can write us at the jigsaw podcast at gmail.com and we'll be able to answer any of your questions comments or concerns or read any shout outs if you have any black excellent shout outs or bless up report shout outs things like that please be sure to send them in that way um, i hope y'all have an amazing week as you know i'm going to push physical health i am doing my zoom virtual boot camp you can go to iamjoshrogers.com click on the j work that's j w o r k link and it'll tell you how to join the fitness accountability group as well as meet us on saturdays at 12 noon eastern time for our class all right um i think that is oh i also have merch on my website too so i'd love for you to buy that my wife has merch where she encourages women and boy moms i have some things where i encourage health and just black culture and black excellence all right so we love your support there and now i think that it is about it have an amazing week y'all but do not let life stress y'all out why because you can only do what you can while you can but while you're doing it don't you ever get caught with your work undone until next time y'all that's a wrap peace <laughs>